0: Welcome to Kayo Living, where Cayo alumni share our Cayo stories. The purpose of Cayo Living is to share how KaY Omega has continued to enrich our lives even decades following our undergrad commencements. Kayo Living is not connected to the national organization of Ka Omega in any way, and all of the thoughts and opinions are my own and that of the sisters that I am chatting with. So welcome, sisters. I am Paula Axford, and I am so glad that you joined me. Cayo Living is a podcast for Cayos by Cayos. I will be visiting with sisters from all over, talking about what led them to Cayomega and how our beloved sisterhood has continued to enrich their lives over the years. <laughs> I am very excited to welcome today's guest on Cayo Living, Marvie Ann Alimo. Marvie Ann, originally from Chicago, is a long term Floridian who attended the University of Florida and was initiated in our Eta Delta chapter. Today, she is the financial advisor at our Pi Mu chapter, Florida Gulf Coast University. The experience of sisterhood is very different today, especially during the COVID 19 quarantine. Today, we are chatting with Marvie Ann about what sisterhood looks like in today's culture and how we can support our active and alumni chapters. Now, let's chat with Marvie Ann. And here she is, sisters. Welcome, sister Marvie Ann Alimo. Marvie Ann is an initiate of Ada Delta at the University of Florida and she got her undergrad bachelor in economics, minor in sociology. She might correct me on that in a minute. She also received her Juris Doctorate from the University of Florida, so she is a double Gator, and received her Master of Law in Estate Planning from the University of Miami. Currently, she serves as our financial advisor at the Pi Mu Chapter at Florida Gulf Coast University. Welcome, Marvie Ann. Yes. I am so glad to have you join us on Cayo Living. But before we dive into your Cayo story, mm-hmm. I would like you to tell us about the world of Marvie Ann, Your family, where do you live? What is your current profession?
1: So, um, I'm an attorney, an estate planning attorney in Naples, Florida. I've been living here a little over uh, 20 years now, which is dating myself, of course. Um, Uh, I live here with my husband who was a professional golfer and a Gator golfer on top of that, which is fabulous. He's, um, right now a boys golf coach at, uh, St. John Newman high school here in Naples, where my daughter, um, just finished her freshman year. She's excited to be a sophomore next year. Um, I also have uh, a son who is 20 years old. He, um, finished high school last year, uh, here in Naples and, um, he is uh, mildly autistic, so staying at home this year, um, thankfully, because of COVID, we didn't have to worry about his his college plans, um, but uh, he is an avid lover of all things ornithology and paleontology, and um, is in the process right now, as he's always saying, of trying to put together his own uh, YouTube series about oh. uh, birds and dinosaurs, so. Very, very exciting. Right yeah. Yeah, and do you have any fur babies? I do, I do. I keep I keep forgetting my fur baby because he's kind of new. So <laughs> I uh, just adopted a Vishla. Uh, um, his name is Liam. Liam James. Oh, so <laughs> much. He just turned um, nine months old on July fifth. Um, he's the absolute love of my life. I love this dog, and you know the funny thing is, I'm such a dog person, but I never got to own a dog growing up because my mother uh, was allergic to pets. And uh, when my um, when we moved over here, my husband, who was a cat person, wanted a cat. We had an Abyssinian Abby. Her name was Abigail, um, of course. Uh, for about, um, we had her for about 14 years. um, And then, you know, we went petless for a while while my son was on uh, dialysis and until after he got his kidney transplant. Um, But we finally got cleared by the doctor to get a pet. And I said, I'm going to have a dog because I love dogs. And I got this beautiful fishla and he's lovely and I love him to death. And, um, you know, I, I, Everybody in my house knows that now in the hierarchy of Marvi Ann's affections, Liam comes <laughs>
0: first. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I will consult with Liam on all important things with Marvi Ann. <laughs> and um, you mentioned, you said something like when we came here or something like that. So tell us about where you grew up.
1: So I actually am originally from Chicago. Um, I still tell everybody that Chicago is my hometown. Um, I moved from there when I was about nine or 10 years old, but my father did not ask my permission. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a Chicagoan at heart. Um, I, uh, when we moved, we actually uh, m- relocated to the East coast of Florida. So I grew up in um, a small little town called Port St. Lucie between mm-hmm. Vero Beach and uh, West Palm Beach. Um so um anybody from New York who knows the New York Mets knows that it's the summer home of the Mets um so that's where I grew up I went to uh Grade school there, high school, and then eventually after I left uh, for college and law school, um, I settled instead on the West Coast. So I'm a re- I'm a reformed East Coaster or reformed West Coaster, whatever you call it.
0: <laughs> okay, so how did you? I mean, Florida is full of great colleges and universities. How did you wind up at the University of Florida?
1: You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I applied to several different colleges. And to be honest, my first choice school was actually the University of Miami. Um, this is a funny story. My um, I, I applied there. I was a big cane. I had canes posters all over my wall. Um, it was, you know, back in the day when I think uh, Vinny Severity was still playing for the canes. And so I was, you know, Dead set on, on going to Miami. I think partly because you know being from Chicago, I was really missing big city. Yeah. Um, so I I got a scholarship there it was three quarter scholarship. I was so excited to go. Um, but my my father sat me down one day and said, you know Marvianne. He's a big believer in not having any school debt because where he came from in the Philippines, you know, student loans are not really a thing. And he said, we could do one of two things. You could go to the University of Miami and I can pay the one quarter of tuition that you don't have a scholarship for. Um, And just remember, if we do that, when you come home... um, on the weekends. And after you graduate from college, um, just be sure to drive through the McDonald's drive through and wave hi to your sisters. Cause that's what they will be doing. You uh-huh. know, you will have spent all of my savings on your college education. Mm, um, dad. Wow. Well. Really <laughs> guilting me and saying, right. you know, I'm not going to get take out loans for you. I'm going to pay for your schooling. So, and your sisters um, are going to work. <laughs> yeah. He, he said, you know, that, that's what your sisters are going to be doing. And so I have two younger sisters. And, um, so, after that guilt, I actually wound up getting acceptances to uh both uh University of Florida and Florida State um, and um full rides to both. And awesome. uh in fact I was even making a little money after all of my other grants and scholarships. Wow. So I decided um, you know, be- for me between Florida and Florida State, there was no choice. I was definitely <laughs> going to Florida. It's a felt flagship university of the state. Um, so I I decided to go there and honestly, it was probably the best choice ever. And as you read in my bio, I actually did wind up going back to University of Miami for my master's. So I feel like, yes,
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, how about, um, your, your Greek background? Are you a legacy? Did you know anything about fraternities and sororities when you went off to college?
1: I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So, uh, you know, I think I I mentioned a little bit my um, that my father went to college in the Philippines, as did Mm -hmm. my mother. And, you know, they're immigrants to this country. And so for them, this whole idea of Greek system was um, non-existent you know, they didn't really understand what it was about. And when I started school, I didn't have anyone in my family, none of my parents, friends, um, none of the people that I knew I had gone through, um, the Greek system. So I really learned it, um, while I was there Yeah. and, um, Honestly, I actually didn't go through a rush, um, if we can still call it that. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I was just about to ask you yeah. about your recruitment experience. Really so tell time. us about that.
1: I did not go through until I was a junior, um, primarily because I was very involved in my first two years of school in all kinds of student leadership activities. I uh, was uh, on a the academic committee for student government, um, any type of uh uh, leadership um, organization you know I uh, generally tried to join that I was on the student conduct committee uh, for a number of years and so uh, during my um, my time in all of these different student leadership groups I had gotten to know other folks who were part of the Greek community many of whom were Chi megas and um, a friend of mine one year decided that she was going to go through. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go through too. She ultimately wound up dropping from Rush, but I kept going through. And I think because I'd known so many Cayamagas already from, you know, just things outside of Cayamaga, when I, you know, got to the house and went through Rush there, was a very good fit. You know, I knew everybody already and they knew me. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a given that that's okay. So and I know they tell you not to suicide, but I totally did. I a, <laughs> they all down the because I just knew that if, if I wasn't gonna if I was gonna get in anywhere, it was gonna be there. And if it wasn't gonna be there, then I didn't need to be part of the community. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um well I have to tell you, my experience was very similar in that uh, my families were not involved in Greek organizations at all. Yes. And um and I my freshman, sophomore year were a little different in that I wasn't that involved. Mm-hmm. And by the end of sophomore year, I was like, I want to be a, a bigger part of yeah. where I am. And I worked in an office where there were a lot of fraternity and sorority uh. people. So that was how I learned about it. So... um Okay. So you went through formal recruitment. I then. did. I did mm-hmm. go through
1: formal recruitment. I, I will tell you, I, you know, all the horror stories that they say about formal rec- recruitment, some parts of it were great, but I did have some horror stories. I, I remember walking between houses one day. Um, there's a section of, uh, uh, of, sororities that are separate apart from sorority row. And um, and so I was walking from sorority row to one of those houses and there was this huge puddle of water on the side. And of course as you would have it, some <gasps> cars coming down. Oh and no! Do they, do? they go right through the puddle water all over me. I was wet from head to toe. Oh um, and Interestingly enough though, I do think that the sorority that I had to visit after that did give me an invite for the next round. So it it wasn't too horrible.
0: Well, that really goes to speak to who you are and not necessarily, you know, what your dress looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, now in Ada Delta, were you, did you live in the house? Well, I didn't.
1: So I was honestly, because I, um, Went through rush as a junior, and then I, on top of that, graduated early. I was only really there for a full year, so I never got to live in the house. But I was there every day, all mm-hmm. the time. We were very lucky to have a house, and it beautiful was beautiful house. Uh, it's a beautiful house. It's really close to um, the business. Um, uh, quadrangle where a lot of my classes were. And so I got to go there a lot. You know, I had my lunches there, you know, did my homework there. It's it's a wonderful house. I absolutely loved it.
0: And while you were there, were you involved in any activities or on any committees? I imagine with your previous student involvement and leadership that you were pretty involved in Ada Delta.
1: Yeah. I mean, I tried to be for, for the limited time that I was there, I really tried to be. So back then, and I, I don't think the chapters do this now, you know, each of the pledge classes actually had their own like executive board, if you will We had yes. a pledge class president um, who actually incidentally now is married to the former um, uh, commissioner of agriculture here in our state. Oh. But, um, I, um, I was our pledge class secretary and, um, And then um, after um, I was initiated, I was a co-chair for community service. Um, So that was the extent of my leadership within the chapter. But, you know, I was always raising my hand for everything. Well,
0: this we were founded upon the spirit of service. And for you to be involved in that, I think, was pretty significant. Um, Okay, looking back was there a certain sister or a certain experience or memory from your chapter that made a lasting impression on you?
1: Well, I mean, you know, that whole year for me um, was really such uh, an important year for me because I think for me individually, I always felt like I had a problem throughout my life, like really fitting in with people, you know, I wanted to be a popular girl. I just didn't feel like I had it in me to be that. Um, and I think it's because I, you know, I'm very nerdy, uh, <laughs> you know? but, um, I think a that's, self-described yeah, nerd, but, not you know, by other
0: people. Self-made. I imagine
1: the whole, that whole year was a great year for me. It was a good transitional year because really, you know, being part of that and feeling accepted, you know, was, was such a wonderful thing. And I, I remember so many of my pledge sisters. I have one, Danny Barrison, who lives in, um, Orlando now that I was particularly close to, and thankfully I'm still, um, friends with. Um, so she's probably one of the pledge sisters I was, I was most close to, you know, other people ask me like who, I, I remember there was this, um, there was this one, um, woman we had in the chapter, her last name is, is escaping me right now. Her first name is Laura. Um, and I think if you ask our common friend, Marcy Klein, she'll tell you exactly who it is. She was the most senior woman in the house. Um, I think because when I went through, she was a senior and she might've actually even been like in graduate school at the time. Um, okay. She was the one that it was kind of like I don't want to say she was like the house mom, but she was the one who, you know, really told you when you were doing something you weren't supposed to and you listened to Laura. You know, Um, the other person that I think um, really um, was very uh, much of a kind of a a leadership figure for me was RGH at the time, um, Tiffany Provence, who is actually now an attorney in South Carolina who I uh, connect with every once in a while. Um, You know, she was, someone who I felt like at, you know, our young age in the 20s, she really did a good job of commanding the chapter as a president. Um, You know, you could really see the leadership there. She actually went on to become a probate judge. And I, you know, it it was something that I wasn't surprised about because she was definitely somebody who was confident, authoritative. um, So those are some of the people that, like, to this day, like, I really remember them, you know, as if it, I cl- if I close my eyes, I can still see what Tiffany was wearing on bid day.
0: Wow, that, that really does say something about her presence. And, you know, I'm really glad that you mentioned like the kind of leadership, because if we really think about it, leading these organizations in you know, whatever executive board or committee chair, it is a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we take it for granted. Um, but I think it is a lot for these young women now. Um, so you graduated early. I'm kind of not
1: surprised. I did. I graduated in 93. Yeah. And,
0: um, after graduation, tell us about your involvement as Chi Omega as an alum.
1: So, you know, it was many years before I became involved. You know, I wanted to, um, do something afterwards, but I just didn't know how to connect, you know, and then law school and, um, you know, masters, uh, marriage, and children Children. took me away from it. Um, I, you know, when I first started reconnecting, it was because um, Florida Gulf Coast University had opened down the road um, and they were starting a Greek system there at the time. I think they already had the tridels and the Zetas there and I guess Chi Omega was asked to be um, the third sorority on the campus. And so um, one of our sisters in the Sarasota area, who's very involved with our regional um, volunteer efforts, she sent an invitation to all the women down here in Florida to get together for an alumni event. And so i that was the first time I'd ever gone to basically like an Ellisonian a ball El which was kind of different. Um, uh, luncheon with a lot of women, most of whom were not my age. I was by far probably one of the youngest. Um, you know, this being Naples, but um, that was kind of the first time I I really enjoyed it. Um, and then after then got another invitation from Kim, Kim Kornetet is the person I'm speaking of, who said, listen, you know, we'd like to get some women together to talk about, you know, our possible colonization at Florida Gulf Coast University. We just want to get some opinions from our area alumni, because I, I think they wanted to make sure that the alumni locally would would support it.
0: Absolutely. So, we need
1: that. I went to that meeting at the time, and at the time, in, as part of my law career, I was already doing some uh, charitable legal work for the FGCU Foundation, so it of was a very nice fit for me to become involved in um, the life of the university, not just from my professional standpoint, but also from my... Um, from this Chimega standpoint. And so, as they kept having all these meetings with the university about colonization, we continued to get those invitations. And I think because I was constantly showing up and was probably one of the few people who was constantly showing up, um, I was asked to be part of the advisory board. And that was more than 10 years ago, I think. And I'm still on it today. I've been financial advisor this whole time.
0: For 10 years? More than that, I think more than 10 years closer,
1: like to 11 or 12 years now. Wow, the whole time! Well,
0: again, another very important role. Um, and I think you may remember me telling you that unbeknownst to each other, I was actually at that installation. Yes, so isn't that crazy? And how long ago was that? 20? Well.
1: Fifteen. It's about probably twelve years ago. Okay, twelve, 12 years ago. Because like, they just celebrated their tenth anniversary about uh, a year and a half, two years. Okay. Ago. So yeah, it was about twelve years ago, and um, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was lovely. And- in, you know, because they didn't have a house, they did it in the student ballroom. Yes. I remember, you know, trying to run out to find all white, which was very difficult to do. And then um, bringing my dress to the dry cleaners and realizing on the morning of installation that I had not picked it up. <gasps> Oh, oh and, no. like, I had to cobble an outfit together. It was crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of fun.
0: It was fun. beautiful. Now, with each of my guests, I like to highlight a particular issue. Um, and at this time, we're really living in an unprecedented era, a lot of uncertainty with the quarantine as a result of COVID-19. I wanted to ask, um, how has the quarantine impacted the chapter?
1: Well, you know, quarantine is difficult because so much of sisterhood, you know, requires, you know, us... Being together and communicating right. with one another, spending time with each other. You know, it's hard to get to know somebody without interacting with them. And obviously, you know, with quarantine and with schools being shut down, you know, there isn't that opportunity to have those activities. So we're trying to find, you know, new and different ways for the women to connect. I mean, thankfully, you know, here in Florida, the quarantine for them really didn't start until after their uh, spring break had ended. Okay. And there was only so many, you know, weeks between the end of spring break and the end of the school semester. So, you know, thankfully they had part of the semester that they were able to have a activities, but obviously, you know, their white coronation formal got canceled. Aww. Some of their other senior activities, senior off, um, yeah. canceled, um, you know, do we having chapter, you know, virtually was, was really difficult, especially, you know, trying to do something like that via zoom. Um, you know, I think national really did try to support, them and give them, you know, tips and ways to continue to facilitate um, programming in the virtual environment. But, you know, it it had its challenges. And I, you know, thankfully, though, I do think a lot of the women, you know, they're all feeling the same thing about quarantine. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling lonely. um, You know, they're feeling bored. Um, And I, I think the fact that they're They are sisters uh, together and sharing the experience together did give them the opportunity to maybe reach out to each other a little bit more, you know, and to try to be a support system to one another. So even though they couldn't be there together physically, at least they were reaching out virtually. And, you know, whether it was by social media platforms, text messages, emails, whatnot, you know, they... I think did lean on each other more for that emotional support. Right. You know? it's better to get that from, from a sister. You know?
0: Exactly. And um, you talked about having chapter meeting via zoom mm-hmm. um, and also programming in a virtual environment. Yeah. Are there um, any like special events that you all may have put together virtually for this?
1: You know, what? as an advisory board member, I'm not really certain. You know, I think mm-hmm. they, you know, it was really difficult for them. Thankfully, you know, I think they tried to make sure that there were things that they could participate in. I will tell you, one of the things that we did have to do is the budget committee meeting or uh, the budget meeting itself yes. by um, by Zoom. Doing a presentation of the budget by Zoom was very interesting. Um, I've never had to do it that way before. I will tell you, though, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, I um, bet it was. You know, when you think about it, when you have, you know, a meeting where you're trying to present the budget and everybody's looking on a screen where the slides are changing, you, you know, and, and you're looking at it from a distance, you know, maybe you're not absorbing it all. I do think maybe doing it by Zoom was better in the sense that they could actually really see the numbers because everybody yes. had their own PowerPoint right in front of them. Um, so I think hopefully, you know, it kind of sunk in a little bit more. I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, I think when you do those meetings by Zoom, you know, you don't have the same formalities um, that you would in a regular okay. chapter meeting. So you do lose some of that ritual, obviously, and some of that, um, the sacredness of the meeting. Right. Um And I think I would have you know like to see more participation but um yeah that that was one of the things that I participated in that we that I had to personally arrange and it was, it was I, I was I was a little bit afraid and intimidated about how it would go but um I think in the end you know we were able to pull it off so I'm proud of how they did it
0: um how what what does it look like in Florida going back to school on time? Is that still a question mark?
1: Yeah, I think it's a big question mark because the um I think the whole nation knows that right, right. now we've become the epicenter um for the uh for the virus. And I think more so among those younger populations, you know, I think, uh, right. Whether for good or for bad, I think younger people, uh, more of them, I think are asymptomatic or are not as struggling with as many of the symptoms as, you know, the older populations. And I think young people in general, you know, feel very much, um, invincible when it comes to their health it'll
0: never happen to me
1: yeah you know they they don't have the aching in the joints yet or the memory <laughs> problems, right you know that we start to get as we're like approaching for me mid40s already you know but um you know and so I think because of that you know the spread of the virus between them has you know just increased because they're they're not uh, thinking about the fact that they could be vulnerable to mm-hmm. it. Um, and that they could really suffer with it. And so I think, you know, unless that, um, trend really starts to, you know, move in a downward direction more precipitously, you know, I, I'm not hopeful that they'll be able to start school, at least at the university. I think, um, Even the high schools here are saying that they'll probably start virtually, but for some of the smaller private schools um, who can do a little bit more of the social distancing. So, you know, I think right now, um, you know, the fall semester is looking a little bit more bleak, which I think is, again, going to create another challenge for us in terms of programming. I think the executive boards of these chapters are really going to have to kind of get themselves in gear now. And recruitment oh I know yeah i I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that even works because you know we all know in the in the regular recruitment environment it really does require you to physically be there I mean I don't know how you facilitate conversations with so many women um you know and pass people you know through the the cycle of recruiters um in a virtual environment i I can't even imagine to know what that's going to be like.
0: Has Panhellenic shared any plans about that, that you You know of? I'm
1: I'm sure they probably have, um, that a recruit, one of the recruitment advisors could probably say um, more definitively as to how that's going to look. But I think the last time um, I had a meeting, you know, it was before these COVID numbers, you know, Mm -hmm. really started to spike up. So I've got a meeting later in this month and I wouldn't be surprised if they say they're going to put recruitment off till the spring.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, it's a big question mark here in Georgia too. We are, you know, going full guns to get ready to go back, but I'm not really sure it is going to happen. Okay, now another challenge in... um, at Pi Mu, or I shouldn't say challenge, maybe just the makeup of the chapter that's different from Ada Delta, is that at Pi Mu, there is not a chapter house, correct? Yeah. So that is a very different sisterhood situation as well. How, can you talk about how it's different from living in a chapter house?
1: You know, and I think many of my advisory board members um, share, you know, a lot of my experience, um, you know, where we were lucky enough to be at schools that have houses. You know, when you have a house, you always have a place to go to. Right. You know, and um, when in the house, it when everybody is there, it really facilitates you getting to know everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And because it's a house, everybody feels at home. The interactions are so much more different, you know. You're, you're. We're constantly. We were eating together. We were watching TV together. Sometimes we were there, you know, to just take a quick shower between classes. Yeah. Or you know, we're we're eating snacks. You know, it's it, it's just like it's like being with a hundred other roommates. You know. Right. And you really get to know people people very personally and and really really bond with them and bond with more people than you ever thought you could bond with at one given time you know and when you have a house you know it's easier to find um or easier to I think program activities because so many of the activities can be done at the house you know we had sleepovers we had you know you could do full retreats there mm-hmm. you know big picnics, you didn't have to find another place to go to, and you didn't have to worry about that place also being open to the public. Right. You know, or, to it, security it and more, safety. Yeah. It was much more safe and intimate environment, you know? And I think, you know, the challenge that we have with a chapter that doesn't have the house is trying to find a way to create that same, you know, intimacy, uh, to create that same safe space where everybody can go and so that they can all meet and know one another as a full group you know without a house then you're relying on the women to seek each other out and relying on them to find a place to do it and they're 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 able to do it, but in smaller pockets. Right. So maybe you have smaller pledge classes getting together or big little, you know, groups getting together, but it's much harder to get the entire, um, sorority together. Um,
0: do, um, sisters tend to room together in dorms? Like, um, could they take a floor maybe,
1: well, so the way that the university does housing here, they, it's on. It's not really possible for us to allocate single floors to a single sorority. They haven't done that here. I know that University of Miami did do halls where, you know, an entire floor was dedicated to one mm-hmm. sorority. And if they could do that, I think that would be helpful. I mean, there's only so many women that could live there. But right. at least then it might be a place where they could congregate a lot of those. You know, residence hall floors do have common rooms and things where people can circulate. many of the women do wind up becoming roommates with each other. So mm-hmm. they'll rent apartments together or live together on campus. Um, you know, some of them will rent houses to, with each other, which is great. It's good that they're trying to find ways um, to be together. But again, what it does is create small pockets right. within the sorority. And so it's it's really difficult. You know, we're trying to always do programming that involves everybody, um, but You know, inevitably, because they are um, socializing in small pockets, even within a larger, you know, event, whether it's a social or a picnic, you know, um, a mixer, they, you know, it's still very, I don't want to call it cliquish, but there are definitely still pockets there. Yeah. It's hard, you know, to create that um, environment where, you know, you know, every sister and all their, you know, every sister's name, mm-hmm. what year they they are, where they're from. Um, you know, when I went through, you know, that was really important, you know, right. you, knowing everybody in the house and mm-hmm. being able to um you know, see them anywhere on campus and recognize them immediately as your sister um, was really important. I think it's, it's difficult to do with, without the house. Um, and you got to kind of keep trying to find ways to kind of make them socialize with the sisters that they don't have in their small friend group.
0: Right. You know, I'm thinking when we get back on campus that maybe um, like a day of the week could be picked, like let's say Monday, um, where we say, you might already do this, but we're all going to wear our letters on Monday yeah. and, and we're going to have chapter dinner together at whatever dining yeah. hall. Yeah. And that could be, a you know, a weekly event that could become like a sisterhood and, you know, bring everybody together.
1: Bring everybody together. And so th- and that's the, those are the kinds of things that they do try to do, you know, everybody wears X shirt, like um, you know, especially during Wish Week. You know, we're all wearing our wish shirt on you know Wednesday of Wish Week, and that way we can all identify each other. Right, you know, uh lunch bunches where you know whoever wants to come to Moe's Cantina at you know noon on Thursday all the Kayamakas are gonna be there. So they they really do try to do a lot of that. It's just, you know, it's difficult to do in public spaces because there's other folks there and they sort of (laughs) you can't you can't take an entire dining hall. (laughs) I I don't know. I think that between
0: you and me, Marvianne, we could do that.
1: You know, it, and and the thing is, you know, for a chapter that doesn't have a house, they're fairly large. You know, we're talking about one hundred and twenty women. Wow, you know? that is a so size chapter. That you know, if we were talking about a much smaller chapter of, let's say, fifty women, or you know, uh, or sixty women, even, you know, it might be a little bit. You might be able to get a little bit more synergy amongst all the sisters, but one hundred and twenty is a lot. Yeah, that is. Yeah.
0: Or maybe something like a sophomore junior mixer, yeah. like between the, the classes of the That's chapter. A,
1: you know, that is a great idea because I think that, um, you know, get It's getting to know the folks that have been around, especially for the women coming in. Right, right. You know, those are the ones I really feel for because they get to know their pledge class very well. Exactly. Of them, and they're constantly going to new member meetings, but they don't really get to meet the other women. And when they do, it's only within the the chain of their bigs and littles. Right. You know, so it's um or if they're, you know, in leadership, you know, we do try to use the cardinal cabinet, you know, structure very much to get people to know each other, you know, because you get to know the people in your cabinet and that they may not be people who are your bigs or littles and they may not be in your same pledge class. So that's that's another, I think, way um, to mix them up. But I like this idea you brought up about the classes doing an internal mixer. I need to. I need to bring that to somebody. I'm writing it down now.
0: Oh, okay. You know, the other thing you mentioned is cardinal cabinet, which I don't know if that was um, a thing, if you will, when you were in chapter, it was not when I was in chapter. So will you tell us what you mean when you say cardinal cabinet?
1: So, um, you know, we have our six purposes, and we have a number of, you know, initiatives within uh, Chi Omega uh, that are meant to fulfill the six purposes. So, we've got community service, uh, campus activities, we have uh, philanthropy, obviously, um, you know, all of those different committees, the social sisterhood chairs. The the leaders of those committees comprise what we call our cardinal cabinet. And so the cardinal cabinet directors, the social, you know, the social yes. chair, the sisterhood chair, the you know, philanthropy chair, the historian, you know, all the executive board, you know, is, is one um set of leaders, and then this cardinal cabinet where all of these uh chairs is the second um the second aspect of leadership.
0: Very cool. Um, now, talking about well, I want to talk about two, this in two ways. One, what can alums do to support our chapters during school when we are not on campus, like during a quarantine? What could alums in an area do to support? You know what the chapter?
1: I, I think that you know reaching out. To the chapter and um, finding ways to connect with women, I think it's very helpful. Especially, okay. So what I'll say is, you know, for women who are seniors in particular, you know, they are looking to eventually move out into the into the world. They're looking to move out into a job market. They're looking to move out into a social environment where they're going to be separate and apart from their sisters and separate and apart from their parents. You know, I think alumni being proactive to say, hey, we want to be a support network to you, you know, during this time, you know, being a mentor, you know, you don't have to be an advisor
0: to be. I love that idea. I love that. Right. Because lots of times I I think when we think as an alum being involved with a chapter, oh, that's taking on this huge advisory role. But it could be something like we could match up an alum with a senior for a mentorship.
1: Kind of like a big little relationship, yeah, without being the big and the little, you know. And right. I think there's a lot of alumni women who miss and love that big little. Absolutely, you know, our littles are are grown and they're their own people. They don't need our advice anymore. But you know, there's a lot of newer people who are coming, you know, who are coming up that really could benefit, I think, from the wisdom of, you know, the things that we learned as as we graduated and moved up. And, you know, frankly, I think just like with any fraternal organization, you know, really harvesting that Chi Omega network benefits so many. I know many professional women who feel like they were able to utilize their contacts within Chi Omega to, you know, uh, find jobs, to find referrals, to get clients, to you know, find additional education, you know, maybe relocate uh, to another home. I think mm-hmm. having that mentor relationship starts that process of networking and makes the senior or that it, you know that upcoming collegiate say, you know what, I shouldn't be afraid to reach out to these other Kayamica right. women who don't know me yet, because there is a credibility in, in being Kayomika and they're gonna want to mm-hmm. help me. So I think that's one thing that we could really do, and it does. I, don't I think, think that's a great
0: years. idea. I
1: think it can be just women throughout the college experience, especially right. the women who, like us, did not come from families where they were legacies. You know, right. women who are are new to the experience and maybe need help explaining to their parents why being part of a Greek organization is important. Because I know for me, my I remember my dad saying, why am I paying $1,500? <laughs> and, and if I had known somebody who could say, listen, could you talk to my dad and explain to him all the benefits you got of being part of this organization, I'm sure that the check would have been much more forthcoming. So I think that's another thing that we could do is really offer. I think that's brilliant. These parents who, who don't have a background.
0: Right. Um, now, let's talk about when we are back on campus. Um, so we were talking about during quarantine mm-hmm. and being back on campus, how can we, as alums, support the actives um, when, you know, when they don't have a chapter house? Is there something that we could be doing? Well, I think we could
1: just in general be um, more active in in being present there with them. You know, I think the women really crave you know knowledge and they crave um personal contact and I think if alumni made themselves more available we'd see more women coming to things you know some of our more well attended events are you know times when an alumni sister comes in to give a presentation yes especially like in our uh career and personal development cabinet we might have a sister to come in and talk about dressing for success why it's important to think about your appearance and um how to pick a wardrobe so that you have a most successful interview. yeah people like you know those events and then they also get to see what happened to this woman that she went. you know she right had a high experience how did it change her life so i think reaching out to those chapters and to those advisory boards saying listen if you have an event I want to be part of it I want to come to that I want to be a speaker you know um I think that will help um support and show the women why it's so important to maybe even get to know each other because we have so many stories of you know being connected to our pledge sisters you know I, I have many friends. who can say, you know, when they were when they were at their wedding, every you know, all of the women there were their sisters. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I love watching the videos of you know alumni women who are getting married and they're all singing "Shades." To
0: yes, women. yes, um, that's one
1: of my favorite things. You know, and I. I think if we can talk about how important it was to really connect with not just our pledge sisters, but also the sister ahead of us, I was talking about, right. you know, Tiffany Provence, who was the GH of our chapter, um, you know, Facebook, thankfully got us reconnected. And, you know, I had a client that needed some work done in South Carolina. She's in South Carolina. I could reach out to her. Perfect. Because I knew her. Yes. Because I knew her and I knew that when I reached out to her, she wouldn't say, Marvie, who? Right. A chapter. she knew me. You know, right. and so, you know, I think we need to share it. We need to share those stories and we need to be present, you know, and I, I think you get so much more value out of being Kai Omega when you do that as an alumni, because it's it's giving back. And then you, you know, whenever you give back, you get something in return. Which And is
0: just- that was one of the things, actually, that was the next question that I wanted to talk to you about was like, what has this involvement as an alum? What is it meant to you? Yeah. You know, why are we still in it? Yeah. I
1: love it? I love it. I mean, I one, I love, you know, helping other people along. I think it, you know, warms my soul, makes me feel good when I can help somebody accomplish something. I think, two, you know, I have gone through trials and tribulations in my life. And, you know, what benefit is it if I, you know, keep those to myself? You know, why yes. not share that with somebody else? I think it's cathartic for me, one. And then I can get somebody to maybe do something different and avoid those mistakes that I made. You know, I think that, that I very much love. Um, I think also, you know, it makes me young to be honest. Um, you know, being around these, uh, 20 year old women when they enjoy calling me or talking to me, when they talk to me, like I'm a person and not their mom. (laughs) I love that. I love it because now I feel like, you know even as a 47 year old I can still fit in
0: with right that. you're not mrs limo to them
1: no I'm not, right you know our and, can, and mm-hmm. they and they can see me for the professional woman that I am for the alumni sister that I am and you know um it, it just makes me feel like I'm still I'm still needed I'm still connected you know in my head I'm still 20 years old um, Right that the youth the the youthfulness that you get from being around them i think is is really a big plus it keeps you mm-hmm. young you know um and i think there's too many people who really need that they you know they need to feel needed right absolutely
0: and especially like in my situation as my children moved out of the house and i'm single you know that needing to be needed, yeah. can really be met within Chi Omega. Yeah. I wanted to ask you if there is an active alumni association in Naples.
1: So, we have two alumni associations here in the area. Um, the uh, the longer standing one is actually in Fort Myers to our north. This whole area of Naples, Bonita Springs, Fort Myers, it's our southwest Florida area. And Fort Myers much larger um, city than than the Naples area, and so they have had an active alumni chapter there for a number of years. In fact, it was that alumni chapter that really supported FGCU when we first colonized there, and and the 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 chapter actually celebrates their Ellisonian with um, that alumni um, mm-hmm. chapter every year, uh, and so um, that that's been really great. Now here in Naples, we're about. 30, 40 minutes to the south, you know, from time to time, we've had groups of alumni women who get together. It's only been recently that we actually formalized into uh, an alumni chapter. Um, When I when the FGCU chapters first started up and we were having all those meetings about colonization, it really sparked an interest among the women to get together. But it was really an informal lunch bunch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we did have some folks who really tried to get the alumni chapter going, but, you know, we were professional women with, you know, plenty to do and it was hard to keep up. Now, thankfully, we actually have some women who are young retirees who and who are very active on a national level, Um, women who have been chapter advisors at other universities for a number of years or have been in various committees. And so they're really, really um, involved. And so they've started, um, again, with some uh, regular lunches, and they're really starting to try to encourage more of a formal um, uh, a, a formal chapter because ultimately too, you know we want women to think of Chi Omega as something that they'll give back to, not just from a volunteerism standpoint, point, but also financially to support our scholarships, mm-hmm. to support some of our initiatives. You know, uh, National is really trying to push hard to build a fund to increase and improve their leadership programs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we can only do that with the support of alumni. And, and again, we have to connect the alumni back in to Kiamaga to get them to be interested once again. In, yeah. in that, this group, so.
0: And then it's also neat to meet. Um, Chi Omegas at our ages from other chapters and really Mm -hmm. kind of experience that sisterhood among us in our generation.
1: No, that And the, that part's great, too. As I say, I, our common friend, Kate Lysak, I, I said to her, I said, you know, the great thing about being a Chi Omega alum is once somebody knows you're an alum and you know they're an alum, there's this instant credibility. Absolutely. You, know? you don't ha- you can cut through all of the initial introductions. You know, right. you're already you're already pre-approved and <laughs> down a lot of the walls that one would normally build up. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got an instant friend, you have an instant lunch buddy. Um, right. You know, it's, it's, that part has been, I think one of the best things um that I really loved about being involved again, because, you know, whereas maybe I felt like I wasn't as connected to other women in general, didn't have as many friends out there. Cause I've been so busy with so many things now I know I go to Lunch Bunch once a month and there are all my friends. Yeah, right yeah.
0: I love that. Um, well, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about your career outside of Pi Omega. Oh yeah. Can
1: you tell us about that? I'm a very busy woman. <laughs> that's, that's it in a nutshell. So, um, you know, uh, my husband will say I'm an overachiever. So I've been... Um, I've been an attorney now, as I said, for over 20 years, probably uh, closer to 22. Honestly, I don't keep count anymore because then it means that I, I realize what my age is. <laughs> but um, I love my job as an I'm an estate planner. Um, and so um, by education, I'm a tax attorney. I I Uh, learned about uh, the Internal Revenue Code, primarily transfer taxes, which is basically a state gift and generations giving tax. My expertise is in helping people transition their money from one generation Mm
0: -hmm. to another.
1: And um, I I did that for a number of years. I still do that. I absolutely love it. Um, You know, it's really interesting when you can help people not just transition their wealth and make sure that they have enough money to transition but also talk to them about how they transition right and making sure that when because there's so you know money um it, it changes people mm-hmm. you know money and sense behavior there's there's a value and an ethic around how money is used how you know how you spend money, how you use money, it influences others, it influences your family, your life around you. And so much of, my career and my job is talking to family members about, you know, how to responsibly leave money to their kids so -hmm. that their kids are spending it wisely, using it on good efforts to improve themselves, improve their community, um, and also giving it to them in a way that the kids feel like they were loved and valued, you know. So a lot of what I do is I set up trust, um, used to be back in the day that if you set up a trust for your kid, it was because you didn't trust your child to, you know, to spend the money. Right. But I tell a lot of people, it's not about that. You know, if your dad left you a trust, it's not because he didn't trust you. It's because he didn't trust everybody else. And he wants oh, yeah. you, you know, I, I I didn't start off with that philosophy in my career, but I really developed it over the last few years. And that's just one of the things I absolutely love. Um, and I spent, uh, yesterday, um, on a call with, um, the head of family engagement for Bernstein talking about, you know, the, the things that the, the emotions, the values that money communicates, um, you know, both within the financial world and the business world, but also you within, within families. So Mm -hmm. that is essentially my job. I am a, um, I'm a manager of, um, families, uh, an avoider of conflicts. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, you know, they say that if I'm not mistaken, um, finances and money is the number one cause of divorce. Mm -hmm. And I also think that if you don't have something set up, that when somebody passes away, it creates a lot of problems between siblings or grandchildren. And so I see you, your role in being proactive in um like solving every problem so that when you lose somebody, you all can mourn that person together. Is that is that right? Would you say that's
1: right. I mean, so you know, what I always say is that in families, um, people can be glue, you know. There are people within your family that connect you all together and money can be a big divider, you know, Um, and if you want to keep your family together and cohesive, you need to orient your entire family to value relationship over money. Um, Before you can do that, though, you have to really analyze the people in your family. One, you got to identify who that glue is, you know, who is the one holding you together? Why are they holding it together? Is it because they have an iron fist or is it because they, you know, have a tender, tactful way? Um, Trying to figure out how that glue can be replaced when that person is gone. And then also analyzing each member of the family, identifying what their strengths and their weaknesses are and trying to pair up people so that one person's strength offsets somebody else's weakness. But, you know, we're trained, I think, at least, um, I don't know if it's it's um, here in this country or or just in general. You know, we're trained to keep finances and business issues, legal issues, hush hush and quiet. So not something you talk about with your family. You keep right, it. yes. And um, you know, I I believe the opposite. I think keeping it close to the belt and not sharing it is ultimately what creates the division later on. You know, so exactly, uh, yeah. The, it's, I see my job as being one of educating people about the right way to, to give their money and the right way to communicate it to everybody.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. (laughs) Um, What advice would you have for other sisters who are interested in your field?
1: Well, I mean, definitely you got to go to law school because you uh-huh. can't do what I do unless you go, unless you study the law. Um, not all area parts of the law are relevant to what I do, but, um, you know. Everything you pick up along the way is, is just food for thought that you can use later on. Um, I, as I said, I studied tax law, and I think tax law is really important to what I do. I have had other um, people approach me who have been lawyers in other fields for a long time. I'll say, I want to do what you do. Can, is it just that easy? Can I just go ahead and start writing some wills?" And I think, no, you really got to understand taxes. I think also, too, you've got to understand people. Um, Uh, You got to be able to um, be open to other people's motivations, um, their uh, personalities and what drives them. I think um, there's a there's a term emotional quotient um, that I I know has been used uh, in the psychology field. And I think it's very important for someone who wants to be in my field to have that emotional quotient, to be able to be empathetic and sympathetic Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and also to be um, creative. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in doing what I do, you know, you, you got to understand, you know, psychology under, you know, learn a lot more about yourself um, yeah. and learn good communication skills. Communication skills are very, very, very important.
0: With right. I'm doing, yeah. And having a Chi Omega mentor <laughs> yes. as an estate planner is yes. a great way to go as well. Now, um, what is next for you in Chi Omega?
1: Well, you know, um, I'm still going to be the financial advisor 12 years. Good, Um, good. uh, But I think uh, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is um, the discussion that National is having around diversity and inclusion. I think um, I was really, really pleased to see, you know, over the last month with all that we've been, you know, dealing with as a nation that um, Chi Omega is understanding and realizing that that's a conversation we need to have within our organization as well. I mean, I am a person of color and I think that my experience as a person of color within Chi Omega was different than that of other sisters. Thankfully, I can say all of my experiences were absolutely positive and I felt completely included by my sisters. But did I have problems, you know, sort of acclimating because my background is different because I come from a different place? Yes. You know, we talked before about the fact that, you know, my uh, parents had no, um, inclination or clue about what Greek organizations were, um, because they grew up in a completely different country. And that made it, I think, for me, a little bit more difficult to acclimate, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, culturally, you know, I do, I do speak another language sometimes when I'm with my parents, you know. Um, So, and I have different cultural customs. I eat different food uh, than other people. Oh, know. there's
0: nothing like Filipino food. <laughs> I <laughs> love Filipino. Filipino. It's
1: great. Filipino you know.
0: weddings are <laughs> the best.
1: <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's those differences that make people a little bit uncomfortable acclimating. You know, it shouldn't be something yeah. that makes it difficult for people. And I think, you know, we need more education around how to make people feel a little bit more welcome how to embrace their differences whether it's a cultural difference or even just you know a physical difference a disability any kind of difference and and trying to also uh, include some of that within the Chi Omega program so you know i i am looking forward to seeing what that diversity and inclusion initiative looks like and hopefully becoming you know more involved in it than just a spectator i really um I'm really excited to to see what is done, especially on a regional level, so that we can, you know, kind of educate uh, the chapters in our region, um, each each of the regions individually and more personally about the experience of people who maybe come from different backgrounds um, and how to be more sensitive to those, how to be more open to it. How to look mm-hmm. for, you know, situations where somebody does feel like maybe they weren't included. Um, and trying to rectify that situation, yes. trying to be more sensitive to that.
0: Yes. And I think that, you know, as people, you know, we we learn as we grow. I was talking to somebody yesterday that about that we were different people 10 years ago. And hopefully, you know, over those last. 10 years, we've learned things, we've become a stronger person. And I think that it also goes for groups of people and, and we do have to recognize, yes, nobody is perfect. Nobody in the past was perfect and we're not going to be perfect in the future, but we are going to be aware of this and we're going to have these conversations. It's going to be more open and, and we are going to be more open. And, and I think that also, our world has evolved so much that diversity is more acceptable in communities
1: yes. yes well i think it's just more it's more prevalent and so we don't see it as a differentiator anymore right um, or at least it shouldn't be seen as a differentiator anymore i think you know it, it, you know people are becoming more comfortable with a more you know integrated diverse um community Uh, around them. But, you know, there, I think, are still, there's still a little bit of work to be done. And I think, you know, having a specific initiative uh, toward it is going to go a long way towards showing to other people that this is something that's important to us, um, Mm -hmm. and that we need to integrate, you know, that these philosophies of diversity and inclusion into our six purposes. You know, we've got these great, Purposes that help us um, become successful, well-rounded women. But um, diversity and inclusion has to be part of that entire message. Yes,
0: it Um, does. I love that. Um, How can our Cayo Living listeners connect with you if they would like to talk to Marvianne a little bit more maybe interested in career or somebody in Naples who would like to get involved? Um, are you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter?
1: I am. So I'm on Facebook right now. Actually, I have a professional page on Facebook. So if you um, if you do a search for Marvie Annalimo, M A R V E A N N A L A I M O, you will hit my professional page, my picture. Okay. Um, and certainly can message me through that. Um, I am on Instagram, but not um, through my um, professional name. I actually have a food blog. I, I <gasps> also um I a food writer on the side. Whoa! Uh, my Instagram um, is my sweet and savory life. <sighs> it's N as, in, as opposed to an ampersand. And there um, you'll see a lot of pictures of my food every once in a while. You'll see my daughter featured in there. I very rarely feature myself. Um, on Instagram. But um, I love I love my Instagram. Um, I-, I love that I have, you know, food as my outlet. And so um, definitely can reach me there. It doesn't have to be about food. Of course, I'm more than happy to always talk about food. So.
0: <laughs> I think we all are, actually. Didn't we didn't somebody say at one point that food is like the seventh purpose in kai Omega? Uh, I think it should
1: be. <laughs> I think it should be.
0: um so for your blog is Instagram the platform or is there a website for your blog
1: so I used to I used to write more frequently especially when I was writing a column for one of our local papers here so I I do have a page on Blogspot, but to be honest I don't post on there anymore now I'm I'm primarily on Instagram and Facebook so my okay feeds to Facebook and I pretty much just post um, the photos of the food. I used to write reviews. Um, I stopped doing that a long while ago because I realized that everybody's taste in food is different. And um, what I think is really good to my palate may not be good for others, um, especially when we're talking about ethnic foods. Because right. some tastes are, you know, spice. Not everybody loves spice. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so I stopped writing reviews, um, and I and really to be fair to a lot of the vendors and the establishments, because you know a, a review can make or break you, and I don't need to be the person that's making or breaking anybody. So what I did start writing some. Um, biography chef well chef bios um so i've covered some of the local chefs in the area i I write more about their background their influences um you know more than i write about their food and i that part i really like because i think we all can know how to appreciate good food through our taste buds but it's sometimes helpful to know a little bit more about the person who's created those dishes you know you kind of um you appreciate the food a little differently. So, you know, I have an, I have an Indian um, chef here in town that has an Indian restaurant that I wrote a, um, I wrote a biography on. And when I go to his restaurant and he reminds, you know, I'm always reminded when I drink a chai tea about him telling me a story of when he was a kid, you know, his first experiences with cooking were, you know, helping his mother make the chai. Um, And so Mm. it's just, it's a different sensation, a different feeling when you appreciate food, knowing that as the background.
0: Very cool. Um, As uh, we bring things to a close, you know, I always like to ask our guests, what is your favorite line from the symphony? I think I know yours, but I'd like you to share it with our Kayo listeners.
1: So for years ever since I was collegiate, my, um, my favorite line in the symphony is, um, womanly always discouraged. Never. Um, I've used that as sort of my mantra. Mm -hmm. Um, I always remember that no matter what, if I carry myself, um, as a woman and I'm always womanly in how I present myself, that, um, other people will respect me because I, you know, I'm, I'm, confident and i'm respectful um and discourage never i think that part is also you know really important um you can't be successful in life if you let every um you know any every dip in the road um be an obstacle for you i mean i think it's really there's so many great things in the symphony so many you know choosing wisely right but yeah um, but I've always lived by um, womanly, always, discouraged, never.
0: I love that. Well, Marvie Ann, I cannot thank you enough for being a guest here at Cayo Living. Today, I challenge you in the words of some of our former SHs, To continue to hold high the torch of Chi Omega. And may our beloved sisterhood continue to bless you for all of your days to come. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This was so much fun.
0: We'll do it again. I'd like to have you back. Yes, yes. Okay. God bless. And thank you, sisters, for listening in on Cayo Living, where Cayo alumni share our Cayo stories. This is just a reminder that the Cayo Living podcast is not connected to the National Organization of Cayo Mega in any way, and all of the thoughts and opinions are my own and that of the sisters that I am chatting with. Remember, sisters, that Cayo Omega truly is for a lifetime hashtag chi omega hashtag biggest and the best hashtag sisters on purpose hashtag chi o living this is paula axford in the shades of evening looking forward to our reunion